Hey, fellow community, we're together again. And so soon. If you're keeping up with the podcast, you know we just had a bonus episode with Brian Tabor, who's from Worship Leader Probs, and we had a really great conversation. So if you missed it, definitely you want to go back and listen to that one. Uh, Lots of great insights from Brian. It seems like we had a few good laughs too. Anyway, if you're new to our podcast, our goal is to help you become more effective as a technical artist at your church so your church can become more effective at reaching its potential. And we do this through this podcast, through Philo Coaching and Philo Staffing, the Philo Book, I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas, and the Philo Conference, which is coming up on May 11th and 12th. And as you can tell from all that we have going on, we're really all about development around here. And in light of that, I've been reading Seth Godin's book, The Practice, Shipping Creative Work, and it has been so good. And he talks a lot about how success comes from the process and not the outcome. So many times we want to control the outcome, you know, how our services go, how well they turn out. And especially when you start talking about big services like the one we just had Easter a few weeks ago and Christmas, it's easy to get wrapped up in wanting things to go perfectly or that everything we plan goes just as we imagined it would. And Seth talks about how we really only have control over how we spend each day and that our outcomes are affected by the sum total of the practice that we put in, hence the name of the book. Um, In many ways, practicing our craft looks like compounding interest, you know, like putting money in the bank. As we master one small part, it becomes another part of our foundation that we build on something new. I was doing some work with a church this past Easter and we spent much of our time working on lighting. And for them, it wasn't that they didn't care about lighting, but they hadn't put in the practice. So we rehung some lights and we talked about some basic principles to follow, programmed the lights and Easter happened. And while there's still a ways to go, yeah, they're moving forward and it wasn't perfect, still isn't perfect. And they're putting the practice in to improve each time to create different outcomes. And, you know, I like to differentiate excellence from perfection by saying that excellence is just being better today than yesterday. And the production team at that church, yeah, they're doing lighting with excellence. Excellence is the sum of the mundane, is uh, something someone said once. I don't know if I said it or if I heard somebody say it and I just copied it, but I say it a lot and I believe it. And working every day to become better, working on small details that no one sees, That's what it takes to be an excellent technical artist. And yeah, just thanks Seth Godin, who I'm sure you listen to this podcast. Thanks for the reminder that the process matters more than the outcome. Getting better at what we do is a big reason why we have 50 breakout classes at the Philo Conference. There's so much knowledge for us all to learn about doing our jobs better as technical artists. You know, we can always be improving and there's no limit to what we can learn from all the different types of situations. And speaking of the Philo Conference, we're about three weeks away. I cannot believe it, and I can't wait. Uh, We have some amazing content prepared by some super smart, super talented technical artists in the local church. And they won't just be talking about theory. They're gonna be speaking from practical experience. As a listener to the podcast, you can use the code PODCAST10, so that's all caps and the number 10, PODCAST10, You get 10% off either an in-person ticket or a streaming ticket. It's your chance to become better today than yesterday. So why not sign up now? Head over to philo.org. You can join us on May 11th and 12th for either in-person or online. And our guest today 
has been a Philo faculty member for the last couple of years, and he's coming back to teach a few breakouts this year. So Stephen Brewster, he's a creative coach and a mentor. He works with worship teams and creative teams to bring out their best. And we had a chance to sit down to talk about the creative process and the role that us as technical artists can have to help move the ball down the field when it comes to what your church is about creatively. So let's dive in. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Todd. Thank you for having me, and thank you for letting me be part of the Philo community again. It's so much fun every time. I love it. Yeah, it's so great to have you. We did a podcast recording just recently for the yeah. Blue Collar Creative Podcast, which is yours. Yes, sir. We had a few technical difficulties, but we made it through. Hopefully, we'll oh my gosh make it through today without any. As a as a, a community of technical people, I would have <laughs> let our whole community down if they saw what I was working with that yeah. day. So hey, but it worked. Uh, it sounds great. You can go to the Blue Collar Creative and check that out. Yeah, it was great to have a conversation. And we haven't had too many conversations, except in passing at different events. Uh, Philo being one mm-hmm. of them seems like, uh, well, at Philo, usually I'm uh, so busy that I'm just sort of you like- have a few things going yeah, on. Blowing Todd, by. That, <laughs> yeah, blowing by. Right. Say, oh, hey, great. It's good to see you. I've, we've sort of bumped into each other at a SALT conference or two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we sort of run in similar circles. And so I've known about each other for quite some time. Yep. It, it's, been, it's been my pleasure getting to mm-hmm. be part of the community and get to know you a little bit more. So it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, yeah, likewise. And um, maybe if you could tell, if, the, if those of you listening don't know who Stephen Brewster is, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing and then maybe yeah. a little bit of your story on how you ended up here. Yeah, so... Most of the audience probably doesn't know who I am. Uh, So I moved to Nashville in 1996 to go into the music business. And um, that was like really like I wanted to be P. Diddy in the Christian music business. Like that was the the, the day (laughs) and that's what I wanted to do. And God was very, very kind and allowed me to have a very fun career doing music business. But there was always something missing through that whole season. And I just knew that I had a, a purpose in the local church and I was in proximity to my calling because I was working with Christian artists and worship artists, but I wasn't directly in my calling. Okay. And I had moved to Mobile, Alabama from Nashville to work at a worship record label that was based in Mobile and got a phone call from a friend and they were like, hey, we would like to hire you to come be the creative arts pastor at our church. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it and see. And so I'm one of the very few people in the world that moved to Nashville to get out of the music business. <laughs> and I moved back to Nashville to work at uh, an amazing church here in Nashville. I had the joy and privilege. It was, it was honestly like a dream job. And I did it for about seven years, a little more than seven years. And then some crazy things happened and, and, and life happened. And you know, I, I think all of us are either about to be in the middle of or having just come out of a moment of transition. Okay. And for us, this, is, this was one of those pivotal life transitions. And we went through this, this season that was um, extremely challenging, and we learned a lot during that season. Mm-hmm. And about three years ago, we started our own companies. And so uh, my wife and I worked together. She is an author, and she just released her first book called Hearing God Speak, and it's an Enneagram devotional. Oh, nice. And it's phenomenal. And it's been like, we've been blown away by how people have responded to it. And then I help worship teams navigate the music business. And so I work with a handful of worship teams across the country. And then I work with creative teams and, and churches on organizational structure, culture, values, and developing like really healthy teams. Okay. So, wow. Sounds like you're busy. Yeah. What's your Enneagram number? 
I'm a three okay. with a four wing. All right. And so I'm a, I'm an achiever, and that's why I can be busy because I just I probably find too much identity in doing right. some of those things. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't have to get so, into that. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Do you know, you know what your session. number is? Um, yes, I'm a Enneagram nine. Awesome. And I, uh, awesome. I, I don't know if I'm a one wing or an, or an eight wing or I probably, I, yeah. like a true nine, well, I feel like I'm like just right in the middle. Just right in the middle, <laughs> yeah. of course, as you would as a nine. <laughs> you know, the, the beauty of the Enneagram is you actually use both wings. And so in certain seasons, you're more one way than the other. Right, but right. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. This isn't something we plan to talk about, but just hearing you just talk about transition and hard times. And mm-hmm. I feel like in the world that we live in of working at a church and the word calling kind of being a part mm-hmm. of the conversation and the high calling of, you know, working at a church where you're, the gospel is your business and, you yeah. know, reaching people in that season for you, were there lots of questions about what your calling was? Like now in hindsight, were you just, not listening or to what God was um, saying, or I'm just curious, like how you made yeah, it through that season. It's a great question. And honestly, like, I think that having grown up in a, in a ministry household and grown up as a missionary, uh, kind of around the world a little bit, I was trying to figure out what my calling, unique calling was. And, and one of the things that I think growing up in a traditional church environment like your calling was always associated with your vocation. Mm. And I think, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty firm believer that our calling exists outside of vocation. And then for some of us, our vocation actually becomes part of our calling, but it doesn't always have to be. We're all called to, we're all called to share the gospel. We're mm-hmm. all called to live a certain style of life that's that's pleasing and honoring to God. And we're all called to, caretake our relationships and our families and, and, and lead and lead ourselves, lead ourselves well to do those things. And so I think I went through a season figuring that out and then realized, oh, you know what? I actually have a ministerial calling on my life that would be more vocational. So jumped into that and loved it, loved it. And the, the real answer to your question is I've had a harder time becoming comfortable with the new expression of my calling and what God's called me to do. Vocational, once, when I got into vocational ministry, it was everything that I'd ever wanted. I was working on a team that I loved with people that I loved in a city that I adored and cared for and wanted to reach. And, and I, I honestly, like for me, it was it. Like I was done. I had found the, I had found it. Yeah. yeah. I, whatever it is, I had found <laughs> yeah. it. Right. And, 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 and I was so content that this would be my forever job. And it didn't end up being that way. Yeah. And the the real wrestle has been becoming comfortable with what ministry looks like today, which is so interesting because I feel like I finally got the leg my legs underneath me on it. Mm. Like I, I I get it now. It makes sense of how this what I do today is a ministry different than vocational, but still equally as important. Sure, right. So I don't know all the ins and outs of your story, but just feeling like you're someplace you love, that season ends. There are lots of questions that come up, you know, like I thought this was going to be forever. Then like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe following that and that's not working out. And, you know, just right. trusting God in those moments, just a difficult yeah. journey that I think a lot of us deal with and we probably don't talk about. 
Well, and and we definitely don't Instagram about it yeah. because <laughs> we're we're definitely not going to put our. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think you know you, you asked about the enneagram. I think so much of how you're wired and what your personality is really informs your actions. Yeah, and so so some people are going to be overly expressive of those seasons, while other people are going to be way more reserved and not willing to express those seasons until they've kind of processed them a little sure, bit. Sure, right. You know? Yeah. And so, but I think we all have those seasons, and I think we all are in a season of trying to figure out either what just happened, what's <laughs> happening right now, or what's about to happen. You know, Right, right. That's why I don't understand how anyone lives their life without faith. Right, like, yeah. Without God, I don't know how you really navigate this world. Yeah. And so... So yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting thing for sure. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is definitely something I appreciate to be able to look back mm-hmm. and see kind of how God was moving and working and yeah. but yeah, in the moment of some of those transitions or feeling like should I stay, should I go? Right. Should I start something new? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot easier to look back. Again, I think we've probably put an unhealthy connection between vocation and calling. Yeah. God cares a lot more about who we're becoming than what we're creating. And so as we become comfortable with living through the progress of who God's making us into be, and then allowing the things that we do to just be an overflow of who we're becoming, yeah. it gets a lot easier at that point. Sure, right, yeah. You know, yeah. So. Oh, so interesting. So not what we plan to talk about today, but yeah, just <laughs> uh, I know several people that are asking the question, hey, is my mm-hmm. time done here? How do I know? What right. should I stay? And yeah, there are just no real easy answers. There's never an easy answer, you know? I do think though that like in those moments where you start asking those questions, number one, why are you asking the question? Like, have you been offended or have you outgrown the situation or has the situation outgrown you? That takes a level of self-awareness that most people aren't comfortable with. Right, right. And then I've always noticed that in Christian culture, we talk about leaps of faith, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Well, the Bible doesn't actually talk about leaps of faith. Interesting. It talks about next steps. Sure. Yeah. And and and, and stepping into faith, right? Yeah. We create this like this grand thing around like a leap of faith. Well, the Bible doesn't ask you to take a leap of faith. It has asks you to have the faith of a mustard seed. Right. That's not a leap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times when when I get asked that question of like, hey, I think my season here is done. The first thing I'll ask is, why do you think it's done? Because if it's because you've been offended, that's probably a growth moment for you right, more than it right. is you need to be gone, yeah, yeah. right? And then the second thing is, is what, what has God brought you next? Right. Most of the time, God's not going to ask you to leave one thing until he brought you something else. Right. And so if we're leaving just to leave or it's becoming an escape mechanism, that's probably not the God moment. Sure, yeah. And I think too, the, your point that you know the Bible talks about next steps, even the verse about your word is a lamp unto my feet. I mean, a lamp mm-hmm. only shows so much. Right. And so like, yeah, maybe I could see the next step and maybe the next one, but that's it. And so, yeah, I feel like our responsibility to God's call uh, on our life yep. is he's calling us to make that, st- that, that one step and are we willing sure. to do it? For and sure. then the next step and the next step. And yep. uh, I mean, I just, you know, if we talk about the Philo community and the conference and all that, it was just a series of very, very, very small steps. Right, um, right. Yeah, and just following, you know, what I felt like God was calling me to that day. So it was yeah. less about calling, like big, big C calling and just like 
every moment is maybe an exaggeration, but you know, it's like a, the a micro, moment. yeah, micro calling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who's going through a season of transition right now and helping him navigate this season of transition brought me back to my last major season of transition, which was moving from, from church work to owning a business that is a ministry. Yeah. I, I don't even call it a business, like stepping into this season of ministry. And, and one of the things that I thought was beautiful that God showed me through that season was this concept of breadcrumbs, mm. right? And so he would give me like a breadcrumb and it would be like, maybe this is going to be something that becomes what we do next, or, or maybe this is a new client, or maybe this is a thing, or maybe this is a thing. And probably eight out of 10 times, that breadcrumb didn't end up working out but it gave me enough faith to get to the next breadcrumb. Right, okay. Right? And and I think when we think about manna in the Bible, a lot of times God is just he's just going to he's going to give you enough to get you to the next thing. Right. To 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 get you to a place where you trust him at a level and you have a level of faith and gratitude that he can bless you with the big thing or the next thing or the 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 next season. But even in that, it's a season. Like right. if, when you think about how God created the universe and he created us as people, it's never to stay the same and to stay in the same place. Yeah. We're not the same people that we were a month ago, right? let alone 10 years ago. And so never become overly comfortable with normal. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that for creative people and for, the, for production people, especially in this season, coming out of a pandemic, we're like, when is life going to get back to normal? Never. <laughs> never yeah. like, like we're never going to get back to that. And- What's today? We're never going to get back to today tomorrow. And First Peter talks about that we are a peculiar, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Mm. Nothing sounds normal in those three right. descriptions of who God's called us to be. Yeah. Right. So the the idea of even like hoping for normal is countercultural to what God's really called us to do. Right. Right. So. Yeah. So good. Okay, so let's uh, maybe shift gears a little bit. So, okay, you're big into leading creative teams, coaching creative teams, and for sure, yeah, I have a lot of questions just about creativity and the process of creativity, and how yep. technical artists kind of add to or subtract from that process. Yeah, uh, is creative like having creative ideas or creating a creative culture? Is it just something that? there's a burst of inspiration or is it more of a setting up a framework for creativity to happen? So we want it to be a burst of inspiration, yeah. but most of the time it's never a burst of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Okay. Inspiration was meant to inform us, educate us and give us a new idea. Mm-hmm. I can have a million new ideas. If I have no system around the ideas most of the time, I'm never going to maximize the idea or maybe even execute the idea. Right. When you add culture to the equation, your culture is either intentional or permissive. Mm. And so you're either allowing your culture to be its own thing or you're creating the culture you really want. And that's true of your organization, of your volunteer teams, of your family. Wherever there is a culture, you're going to either intentionally develop it or you're going to allow it to be permissive. And usually when it's permissive, we're permissioning things we don't really like <laughs> because it's, it's much more organic and rogue. Right, right. You know? And so you think about your volunteer team that you're leading at your local church right now and it's your production team. If, you're not, if you don't have some values that you guys prioritize and talk about and care about, then everyone's going to kind of bring their own thing to it, which is beautiful until it gets too messy. Sure, right. So, you know, one of our values might be um, we remove the distractions. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and everything we do, we're going to do it to remove distractions so that people can connect to God, or we're going to be on time. That's a big one, especially for those 5.30 a.m. Yeah. call times. Like we, we, we should really be intentional with creating that culture. So for me, in working with the teams that I get to work with, creating culture intentionally is the utmost importance, and it's always created through values. Sure, It's created through what you value, because what you value will become your correction system. And the greatest cultures, the most healthy cultures, they're creating values around things that they want to win at not preventative things. Sure, right. So, yeah. yeah, I think in the world that we live in with technical artists and, and creatives on this, you know, from the platform and all that, we're, a lot of us are wired up to see the problems as yeah. they happen. Well, I've talked to a bunch of people, like everybody sees the problems. Like, you know, right. my grandma <laughs> sitting in the seats can tell when we missed a cue. Like, let's, what if we came at this from a more positive and mm-hmm. instead of reactionary way, like, yeah, to have values, to lay a foundation for mm-hmm. what are we trying to create? And then let's celebrate those when we win yeah. instead of right. just looking out for the, the bad stuff that's happening. Totally. Because no great culture is built around only correction. Right. Right. Because what, cause who wants to live in that world right. where the only thing we ever talk about is fixing mistakes? Let, what if we created a baseline and an expectation level where we could lean in and what we really focus on is this is how we celebrate the wins that we have. Yeah. Oh, and then we missed that one thing because we didn't do the thing that we actually value. Let's make sure we value that the next service so that we do. Right, right. Creating a culture, I mean, so many places, they've, I think you've, you said it, permissive. You know, they're just, they're mm-hmm. focusing on the negative all the time. And I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday. They said, how many mistakes is too many? I'm like, well, let's back up the conversation because if we don't have a foundation that we're basing all this on and, you know, with values and all that stuff, that's where the conversation needs to start. Right. Uh, Because mistakes will happen. And so how are we responding to them? Right. And how are we leveraging them? Like mistakes, we, we, because we live our life so like on the production teams and creative teams live their life so on like the platform, yeah. so visible that every mistake they make is visible. Right. Like if 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 the kids ministry forgets to change a diaper, <laughs> the entire church doesn't know about it, yeah. right? But if we miss a lighting cue, everybody knows about right, it, right? Right. And so so don't waste those mistakes. Like use the mistake to learn and embrace the failure. Yeah. Like, rather than just. Um, addressing the failure, really embrace it. Right. Like uncover why that happened as opposed to how do we never let that happen again? Right. And to me, I feel like mistakes, there are many kinds of mistakes, but like from a positive standpoint, like let's let the mistake propel us to be better. Totally. Instead of like, how could you let that happen? Like, okay. You learn so much more in failure than you do in success. Yeah, what can we learn from this to make us better tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Now, unforced errors is a different thing. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. when it's just like we were on our phone and we weren't paying attention. Right. Those unforced errors, w- you have to correct around right. that. Right, for sure. But in the forced errors, use it as a moment to learn and get better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, uh, just thinking about, again, this kind of laying a foundation and maybe, you know, the the process of creating things together. So you've got I'm going to like way oversimplify this. You've got the creation of the idea and the fleshing out of the creativity. And then you have the execution part. 
I mean, on the surface, feel like two very different, maybe even headbutting kind of moments. Potentially, for sure. Yeah, and so, and, you know, just historically speaking, the the folks on the platform and the folks in the booth, you know, they're just, they're coming at, uh, you know, this, the idea from two different directions and they're separated by physical distance and, you know, just like how we do things. Do you have any like advice for production people in this process of like idea and execution, like how to bring our execution alongside of the creativity without like just completely crushing it? For sure. So there's a couple things to answer that question that are, that are important to, to, to discuss. The first one is it all starts with honor, mm. right? So if you don't honor the people that you serve with, None of this is about our own kingdom. Mm. It's not about the production kingdom. It's not about the creative kingdom. It's about the kingdom. Mm. And it's about connecting people to God. Yeah. And so the minute that we make it about us, we've actually removed the entire purpose of what we're doing. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the creative team can be the most creative team in the world. Without the production team, no one's going to ever see their creativity. Right. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, the production team can be the most amazing production team in the world. Without the creativity... There's nothing to execute against. Right, right. We need each other. Yeah. And when we can stop looking at that divide as distance, mm. but actually start looking at, and it's a physical divide in most of our rooms. Right. The production team's in the back, the creative team's in the front, or however you flip it sure. in your building, yeah. right? <laughs> the, the way that I like to talk about it is we're actually flanking the people that we need to reach. And I can't do my best ministry from the front of the stage without you doing your best ministry from the back of the stage. And when we meet in the middle, we're actually reaching everybody. Yeah. And so changing the the approach of, I'm going to do everything I can do to get as close to you as I can. You do everything you can do to get as close to me so that we can reach the most people the most effectively as we can. Right. In order to do that, it does take a really good culture. Sure. It does take values. It does take a ridiculous amount of communication. And then it does take a level of trust and honor that like, we're all on the same team going after the same thing, hoping for the same thing. Right, right. Right? Uh, one of the f- most fun things that we did in, in, in multiple churches that I worked at was when we would do team nights, one of our team nights every year, we would do it almost like speed dating. And we would have <laughs> the leaders of each of the departments. So worship team, creative team, production team, and like uh, social and arts team. Mm-hmm. And all of our volunteers would rotate and spend 15 minutes with that lead over the course of an hour. Okay. And so so at first, the production team is with the production lead, yeah. lead, right? And of course, they're talking about their world. Sure. But then the production, the entire production team stays in that room and that production lead leaves and the worship lead comes in. And for the next 15 minutes, they get to share their heart and answer questions okay. to try to build that bridge. Sure, yeah. Right? And then they leave and the creative lead or the worship lead comes in and you know, and sure, yeah. it just becomes this beautiful moment of getting to getting to hear things you don't normally hear on a Sunday when we're under the pressure. Because in the battle, which there is a spiritual battle happening every Sunday, in the battle, we're probably not gonna live out our best stuff. So let's make sure that we're creating enough time in advance of that and in the green rooms and in the hallways and in the moments of rehearsal and, and huddle and all those things mm-hmm. to really stay connected and get connected. The greatest teams, if you look over sports in 
all of sports history, the greatest teams are the ones that are connected. Right, right. And the offensive team and the defensive team, they may never do the same thing, but when they're connected, they move as a unit. Yeah. And we have to remove this us versus them mentality and create a we move as a unit mentality. Right, right. And it's interesting because I think for years, me and the booth, I'm just thinking, give me the information. I will crush my part of this. Mm-hmm. Just leave me alone and let me like be successful here. But that's not, even that is counterproductive because if I'm not dependent on you and you on me, like I'm, we're sacrificing our collective success. No question. It's the speed of trust. Yeah. You move at the speed of trust always. Where there's trust, you can move fast and accomplish a lot. Mm. Where there's a lack of trust, if you don't slow down, deal with the lack of trust and restore trust, you're going to go really slow and you're not going to accomplish what you're all it's just going to breed more frustration. Sure, yeah. Primarily, our audience is production people in the local church. Mm-hmm. They're working for somebody that's typically, you know, the worship pastor is kind of the normal mm-hmm. thing. Like from our position, what's what's something we could do to build trust? You know, as it as it depends on us. You know, we're not leading the thing. We're not the culture. Right. We're not totally responsible for the overall culture. But what could we do differently? Yeah, that's a great question. Great question, Todd. I think there's two things. The first one is start asking questions, mm. right? The greatest leaders don't make statements. They, they ask questions because they're trying to understand why are we doing this? Mm. And so don't become so annoying that you ask so many questions that like people are <laughs> avoiding you. <Yeah. laughs> but, but be intentional with your questions and ask, ask questions to make sure you understand what the target is. Mm. Because I think a lot of times misplaced expectations are the problem uh, between creative teams and, and, and uh, production teams. So that's, that's the first one. Then the second one is um, make sure that as a leader, because the, the statement that you made about as the production team, we're not as responsible for creating the culture or as, have as much influence in creating the culture. I actually don't know that I agree okay. because I think we all have a responsibility to lead ourselves well. Yes. We can never become a great teammate or a great team lead until we've learned how to, to lead ourselves really, really well. And when you start to lead yourself well, you're going to start to gain the ability to influence others around you. Mm. And so start with asking questions and then lean into celebrating the whole, Mm. right? Hey, what you did today, that was awesome. Like, man, when you had that moment right there, that from where I was sitting, that really moved the audience or that really moved, like God, you opened a door for God to really move in that moment and start having conversations about the wins. Yeah. Not just the losses. A lot of times it's like, yo, bro, you forgot to turn on your (laughs) microphone. And then you were like looking at me, like I forgot to turn your, your microphone on and you didn't turn it on, yeah, yeah. you know? And I can't walk up on stage and turn your microphone on for you. Yeah. And, and so we have that conversation as opposed to, man, even though you forgot to turn your microphone on, when you got to that bridge of the second song, the atmosphere changed in the room. Yeah. That was amazing. I'm, I'm, I, I just want you to know that I, I noticed that. Yeah. Well, man, now it's going to change everything. Yeah, I think so much of the time as a product, I'll just speak for myself as a production person, going through every weekend and really not hearing any positive feedback, except for you forgot this, this didn't work. You know, right. you know, it's all the things that everybody notices. And I tell the, I talk about this a lot in Philo circles for production people. Like we see the good things that are happening because we know like 
what right. it takes to do them. So we should encourage each other with right. like no these question. moments, like I see what you're doing beyond right. the, you forgot to turn Michael, I see what's happening. And so same yeah. with, you know, building honor and trust across this chasm that exists. Just, right. Cause I think the people on the platform need it as much as the people in the booth. Yeah. And coach up and cheer up the people next to you. Look at the person who's running pro presenter and be like, you nailed every single lyric of that song. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, instantly you've just gained influence in the in the production booth. Sure, right. You know? Hey, that lighting transition, that was amazing. I can't believe like how amazing that was. Yeah. It was perfect. It was so tasteful. Yeah. Well, when you have more of those conversations, it gives you the permission to be like, hey, that lighting transition, not as tasteful. Yeah, right. Like we <laughs> we need to adjust that one. Right. They're gonna be a lot more responsive to your correction when they know that it's not just correctional. Right, time. right. Uh, John Cassetto over at uh, Saddleback Church. Always, I love John. You know, such a great person. He says, you know, your team shouldn't feel loved. They should actually be loved. Yeah. Which I just think is such a great statement. Like, how can we make our team feel loved? No, let's actually yeah. love them. And I think just looking for the good that's happening around you from everybody is such a great first step to making people feel like I'm seen and what I do matters yeah. and somebody's noticing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it yep. makes it no so doubt. much easier to, oh yeah, you didn't like that transition? Yeah, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Yeah, it makes it good. so much easier. Which I think also maybe circles back to our earlier conversation about values and that sort of thing that mm -hmm. if you have a value conversation, you have something to refer back to. Like, exactly. hey, this lighting transition doesn't fit with our values that we are, right. are already know versus- We've all agreed on this is the value. Right you know, for whatever reason that value was violated, this isn't about you, this is about what we value. Yeah, right. Yep. Thinking about uh, maybe the creatives that are out there listening to this, you know, so not production people, but maybe on the other uh, side of things, is there any advice you would give them on working with technical artists or have we already kind of hit it, honor them? Yeah, no, well, no, no. I will speak to the creative yeah. class for a <laughs> second. Way too much of our identity is attached to what we do. Mm. Stop making it about us and understand that if we're going to be a worship leader, it starts with leading the people on the stage and in the production booth. Mm. And leading them is not being a dictator. Mm. It's loving them. Yeah. And if you're not spending as much time in the production booth thanking and appreciating and highlighting those a, a Sunday as you are in the green room, we probably have a misplaced value mm -hmm. somewhere inside of the organization. So creative people, your, your, your best work is done when you're ministering to other people. Mm. And so value those around you because they're making you better. Yeah, that's yeah, so good. One more thing, just uh, thinking about the creative process. And mm -hmm. I think as a production person, I used to think that ideas were just easy to come up with. This isn't working. Yeah, just come up with a new idea. You know, just easy as that. Right. And I will execute it. I'll crush it. Right. But the reality is that the blank page is, you know, can daunting. be daunting. Not can be, is daunting. As someone who now does some creative type stuff, yeah, the blank page is like a terrifying mm -hmm. thing to look at. How would you encourage tech people to engage with the blank page, with their yeah. counterpart that's staring at the blank page? Because I yeah. think so often an idea comes off that blank page and we're really quick to shoot it down. You know, just like, nope, well, that won't work. Yes. <laughs> and so understanding, understanding the, the right time to have that conversation. 
the blank page moment, the brainstorming session, those are not the moments to be the antagonist or to, to, to identify the faults in the idea. If you don't let the idea, ideas are birthed, right? And so they have to be, they have to, to be birthed and then spoken and brought into, the, mm. into existence. And then we see how they grow. Do they grow into these beautiful things or do they grow into something that we could never use? Right. We don't know that yet. Yeah. But if we're trying to edit the idea before the idea has had the, the, the chance to grow, we've probably suffocated the idea out. Even the greatest ideas aren't going to get there. And, and the truth is, most of the time, the idea that we end up executing in church is a derivative of two or three ideas that had a chance to grow. Right. Right. And so... So what I would say to, and I don't think that that's actually just a production team issue. Uh I think that's a human issue. Okay. We are so quick to shut things down. We're so quick to say no. And the truth is you can always say no unless you say no first. Mm -hmm. If you say no first, you never give yourself a chance to see what could be and how to say no later. But if you say yes first, Mm. yes, Yes, yes. Then you start to see what possibilities and potential come. And then as you do that, then you maybe get to the place where like, wow, in order to do this, we need like $5 million. That's an easy no. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? Yeah. So, so what I would say is never approach the brainstorming session or the, white, the blank page session. Do not allow anyone to use the word no. Yeah. The only thing you can say is yes and. Right. So, hey, we have this idea. Yes, and we could do this, or yes, and have you thought about this, or yes, and what if we did this? No, no sucks the oxygen out of the room. Right. It's, the, it's the Debbie Downer moment. <laughs> it's, the, it's the moment that none of us want to lean into. And so don't confuse your ability to see the practical as a necessity to always speak the practical. Right. Wait till the right moment. Yeah. Right? And, and, and give it space. Because, and you'll be surprised because... The real origination of that that problem, Todd, is that people are like, I'm not that creative, right? They'll, right. they'll say, well, I'm not that creative. Well, the truth is we were all called to be creative. Mm. The Bible is super clear on it. There's science that proves it. Creativity at its like most basic, bottom line, easiest level is the bedrock level of creativity is an idea or a solution to a problem. Mm. So if you've ever had an idea, good or bad, if you've ever solved a problem, You've been creative. Yeah. And so now you no longer get to say, well, I'm not that creative. I'm just going to be the, the shooter down guy. Yeah. No, yeah. not allowed. <laughs> not allowed. Yeah, I think I, I have said this before, like wherever you are, you're not there to be a problem pointer outer. Right. You're, you're there to be a problem solver. And yep. yeah, how you approach saying yes and turns you into a team player and a, and a problem solver instead of, Right. No, that won't work. Or no, you know, anybody can point out why something won't work. Right. So we need to rise above it. The other thing that's interesting that you said is that ideas need to be birthed. I immediately, not that I've ever given birth. Uh, so I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not claiming to know everything there is to know about the birthing process. But I just started thinking about contractions yep. and like the process of actually giving birth. There are so many yep. steps in it and that are, some are painful and you know it just and it it doesn't all happen in one instant but that right. it requires for things to happen and yeah just to be patient yeah. and wait and see and 
keep moving forward. And then, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah, now this, this idea won't work. But right. the first sign of a contraction is not the time to say, yep, no, can't do it. No, we're, we're, we're done with this baby. <laughs> yeah, right. Next, yeah. next baby. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait, we haven't even got this baby out right. Yet. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful way to put yeah. it. And I think, too, just as somebody that, I mean, I've been kicked out of so many brainstorming meetings for saying no. <laughs> I think the hesitation on my part was, if I don't shut this down now, my life is going to be miserable. Right. And so it took me a long time to be like, if I say yes in this moment, that doesn't mean I can't say no later as this thing develops. And honestly, I would say nine times out of 10, whatever I was wanting to say no to never materialized. Right. That's the thing. We create an impression of who we are and what our attitude is around things that are potentials, not probables. Mm. And so allow ideas to have space to do what ideas do because you might start saying no to something and you're spending equity. The minute you start to say, we can't do this, we're, we, there's no way that we can do this, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You're spending equity. Yeah. Save that equity so that you can spend it at the right time. Right, right. And the, the, the irony of that moment is when you say yes and and you add to and contribute to the idea, even if you know the idea is never going to work, you contribute to the idea, you're actually adding equity to the account, sure. to yeah. the relationship, to the moment, so that you actually have something to withdraw later on. Yeah, yeah. So good. And I think, you know, a lot of us in the production world right now, we're watching Transformation Church and all the really cool production-y things they're doing there. And I think it, I could guarantee you that it's coming from a yes and culture, you know, that people right. are on the team are saying, oh yeah, we could do this and we could do that. Or, or what if we did this instead? Or, you know, that there's a collaborative culture going on and that stuff done, just doesn't happen by people saying no a lot. So. Right. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, way to go, Transformation Church. You guys are (laughs) inspirational. Cool. Well, I'm curious for ways for people to see what you're doing, stay in touch with what what you got going on. So what's the best way for people to do that? So best, best, well, there's, there's really three ways. Mm-hmm. So if, um, if you want to chat or you want to learn more or ask a question or there's anything we can do to serve you, you can just text me, 615-492-2342. Or you can follow me on Instagram, B underscore R-E-W-S-T-E-R. Or you can follow along on our podcast, The Blue Collar Creative, and it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, nice. So, You've said that a yeah. few times before, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a time or two. Yeah, right. Nice. So, man, it's been so great to spend time with you. And just thanks for giving us some insight into, yeah, just how teams work and what we can do ourselves. Um, yeah, so, such good stuff today. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed my time talking with Stephen. I think it's so interesting, the journeys that God takes each of us on. I mean, so many people, myself included, and Stephen started heading down one road only to have God sort of mix things up and point us in a different direction. And I was reminded that our lives are made up of following God at small points along the way. And yeah, Stephen's story really speaks to that idea. And there were so many things I loved about our conversation. Uh, One of them, creating a culture of encouragement. I mean, that is huge. It's so easy for all of us as technical artists to point out what didn't work. I mean, my grandma can tell when something's not working. But 
to work on pointing out what did work. I mean, we can see those things and we just don't say anything. So I just love the idea leading with that. Like, let's find the good in what's happening. Let's encourage each other. And okay, let's work on the things that didn't work, but let's encourage each other. What a great discipline. And showing honor, which kind of in the same vein, it's so good. You know, we can do better at honoring the efforts of people on our teams, the people in the booth, honoring the people on stage, the people on stage, honoring the people in the booth. I mean, our world would be a better place if this was our automatic response. I'm so glad that Stephen is coming to Philo again this year, and he is so full of wisdom for those of us doing church services each week. I mean, it's gold. So, you know, don't forget, you can sign up for Philo. You can go to Stephen's Breakouts. You can use the code PODCAST10, all caps PODCAST, the number 10, to get 10% off the in-person or streaming ticket for Philo 2021 Chicago, again, on May 11th and 12th. You can check out our website. We've got a bunch of our breakouts are listed, who the teachers are, what they're teaching about, and it's going to be a gold mine of learning opportunities and development for you, so you and your team. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Philo Community, and on Twitter, we're at Philo Conference. Uh, there's tons of stuff being posted there, updates on the conference coming up. So that's a great place to get information. So follow us there. Uh, you can always see what's happening by going to philo.org. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast or just in general, you can send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, Philo's coming up three weeks. Sign up. Can't wait to see you there. And uh, yeah, this has been a great time. So until next time. Uh-huh.